Hello and welcome to Liver Talk, a podcast series from Liverwell that shares personal and professional stories about hepatitis and liver-related news. Before we commence, we acknowledge the traditional owners of the land wherever you are listening. We pay our respect to the elders, past, present and emerging, and to any Indigenous people who are listening to this podcast. Welcome to another Liverwell podcast. I'm Paulette Trevina and today I'm speaking with Sean Slade, who is doing a PhD in International Health Systems Research and is also a Liverwell board member. Welcome, Sean. Hi, Paulette. So firstly, Sean, can you tell us about your professional and research background? Yeah, hi, Paulette. And firstly, thanks very much for inviting me to participate today. So my background, I'm a UK pharmacist. I've got a master's in business administration and also in public health. And my main work experience has been in the global pharmaceutical industry, working in clinical, commercial and HR roles. And latterly, probably for the last 20 years, um, working globally, building collaborations with colleagues all over the world. Great. So hashtag Navigating Health. It's a policy and advocacy project co-travelling an international doctoral thesis with a aim to enable patients and carers to better navigate healthcare journeys. How did this project come about? Well, so as a pharmacist, when I originally trained, um, it was very much in patient care counselling and making sure people felt they could ask questions and feel supported. Um, and following that, my, my formative career years in industry were in HIV AIDS in the 90s. So I was very much involved at that time when antiretroviral therapy was brought in. It had a profound impact on me and it has informed my career since in terms of my why and why I come to work. So patient activism, shared care and acceleration of technologies really shaped that environment, but it has never been scaled at a systems level. And I guess that's the background to this project. And then just to sort of further that, I saw a friend of mine go through a cancer journey about eight years ago, someone who was highly health literate, uh, nurse by background, knew all the players, and she found her journey really um, different to what she might have anticipated being a healthcare professional herself. And honestly, Paulette, that sort of um, compelled me to act in terms of thinking, well, this is a situation that everyone goes through, you know, what can we do to address it? So did your friend have a very different experience than what she anticipated? Well, I think um, I think sometimes when you work in a field, uh, you see it in terms of some of, I guess, perhaps more the functional pieces of people accessing care, et cetera, versus mm-hmm perhaps more the emotional experience of what it actually feels like to travel a system. You know, it's a system that's pretty disconnected. It's patient-centred in areas. So people are very well-meaning, but I think at a systems level, it's really not a connected system. So what happens is people fall through the gaps. There's not necessarily a consistency of care across the continuum. And you as the patient, really, are the only person who experiences the whole of that healthcare journey. And at a time of vulnerability, I think that's really pretty challenging in terms of what it feels like. And I think the last thing, Paulette, is that none of us know what that feels like until we actually walk in those shoes and then we really understand what it feels like. Mm, Absolutely. So do you see that this is a a global issue? Are there any countries that, um, that do this better than other countries? So I think all countries are very well aware of the challenges. And I think there are different things that impact the challenges. So there are structural challenges in terms of how do you set up services? How do you integrate services? Uh, So I think there's a lot of work going on worldwide. But I think something that is really important is that systems, as we know, are changing or want to change from being reactive to proactive and really trying to sort of think about 
how patients can be more focused on self-care. And if we think about that sort of huge system shift in health, I think we all need to think, whether we're patients, healthcare professionals or policymakers, how do we actually make those shifts come about? Because we all have a role to play. This is not just the job of government and it's not just the, the job of patient activist groups. So we really need to figure out, you know, what does it look like in terms of the how and how can we all come together to sort of figure out a better path for all patients? And I think particularly patients who generally don't have voices in the process. So these may be people who, for different reasons, who might be children, might be older people with dementia, might be people who, for us in Australia, don't have English as a first language, don't understand the system. So if we think about equity as the underpin to why we want to enable people to navigate health systems uh, well, is really thinking about that equity piece. And then also with all the innovation that's happening in health, making sure that innovation is equally distributed. The challenge is, I think, with innovation is that often, you know, the people who can access those things are perhaps the most well-resourced. Um, and then you just create further sort of polarisation in a system. Mm-hmm. Right. So what do you hope to achieve through the project? I think in the first instance, it's really around creating visibility of the solutions that are happening in this space. So certainly the way I've been trained over the course of my career is don't bring me problems, bring me solutions. Mm -hmm. And so as I started looking at this challenge, I found that many other people were looking at the challenge too. And it's very difficult as an N of one to achieve success. But if you find those other ends of one, you really then are able to think through how can we work together and sort of affect some change. So through the course of um, the last year and a half, I set up a policy and advocacy forum, which is the hashtag Navigating Health platform, and many different groups from across the country and now internationally coming together really to share the stories of their journeys in navigating health from small organisations to very big organisations like the American Cancer Society so that we can start to understand a sort of commonality of purpose, because we're all patients in a system. We might not be a patient in a system right now, Mm -hmm. um, but we all know people in the system or we've got loved ones in the system. So I think there's an onus on all of us to sort of figure out how to do this better. And as I say, you know, this is not a new problem and it's something that all countries are grappling with. So I think there's a huge opportunity in terms of learning from others in, in figuring out you know, well, what are the US doing? What are the UK doing? And how can we learn together in real time, understanding that not everything works everywhere, but there is a big opportunity to share learnings and really think through the ultimate goal is making sure that people get the right care, the right time, the right cost, and that we achieve that every time. Mm -hmm. So Shine, what do you think are some of the biggest barriers people face in accessing and navigating the healthcare system? Look, I think the first barrier is it's a time of huge vulnerability. So I think, you know, for many of us, we might go and get some blood tests done and we hope that the results are going to be okay and the doctor's going to say everything's okay, this looks fine, I'm sure that everything will clear up. But for that time when the results aren't as you might anticipate, it's literally night and day in terms of experience and Mm -hmm. a huge vulnerability. And I, I think that vulnerability doesn't matter who you are. You know, whether you have a high literacy or not so high literacy, I think it's a huge vulnerability and it really sort of tackles you at the core. And I think it's really hard for people to come back from that feeling of vulnerability and trying to then establish some control in the process. So I think that first barrier is incredibly important. And understanding that first barrier for any healthcare professional 
is really important to understand what that patient journey looks like. I think beyond that, and the research that I did a couple of years ago, and shown, for example, cultural barriers, language barriers, costs is a barrier. So you may know that the rising cost of out-of-pocket costs in Australia has risen by something like 130% in the last 20 years. Right. And also, I think, unintentionally, but power differentials. So I think patients do feel quite reduced when talking to healthcare professionals. I think also when you've got a team of people that you're working with and you're not quite sure who's responsible for what, it really um, underlines the importance of communication and understanding. And communication, as we know, is a two-way process. So it's speaking, but also very much listening and understanding context. And I think a focus very much that I'd like to underline in this interview is understanding what matters to the patient Mm -hmm. all of this journey because what matters to the patient might be different to what matters to the healthcare professional, might be different to what matters to the policy maker. And what we need to do is to understand, I guess, the totality of what that experience needs to look like, understanding that things change over different times in that process, but really thinking and being a bit more thoughtful as to what good outcomes look like, and then also how we measure them. Right. So have you had any findings uh, which have surprised you or really stood out over the course of your project? I think definitely that one around vulnerability. Mm -hmm. I think when I came into this, and bear in mind, I'm a pharmacist by background. I've worked in the pharmaceutical industry. So if you like, before I did my master's of public health, I came in very much with a quantitative mindset. I've come out of doing public health with very much a qualitative mindset and understanding the importance of worldview. And I think one of the things that all of us need to do is we come into any situation, whether it's health or other, but probably understand our worldview and perhaps the bias it gives to the situation that we might encounter, because we do all bring in preconceptions of what things look like. And I think it's important to acknowledge that as we come in, because we really need to think about things from the other person's point of view. And so I think that vulnerability piece was the one that is at the core of what I think about as I think about this. And I think the other piece too, I've mentioned them around equity. I think equity is a key value underpin here. So how do we ensure equal access to services? And how do we, in doing so, ensure that we have equal access to the outcomes that people would want? And I think lastly, because health is changing so rapidly, just in terms of the technology innovation and sort of innovation and processes, we need to manage the duality of ensuring equity whilst innovation is, is constantly happening. So how do we do that in a fast-moving world? But I think if I went back to the crux of your question, it really would be around vulnerability. Mm-hmm. Right. Do you think with the rise of, you know, Dr Google and that kind of internet-based health literacy that that's changed the power balance between patients and health professionals? Are people more willing to challenge their doctors now? Well, I suppose my answer to that would be it depends. So certainly in my experience working in HIV years ago, and bear in mind that the internet was a bit more of a puppy than mm. Paulette, mm. but um, you know, people would walk in with reams of information from the internet, but the internet wasn't so sophisticated mm. then, and there wasn't so much misinformation and disinformation on the internet. So I think one of the challenges that we have is people accessing information, and we need to make sure it's evidence-based information. So I think that is the key piece that we all need to guard against whoever we are in the system. I think the other thing too, just to answer your question, you know, what about people who, 
you know, can't access the internet, who don't have digital access. So again, you know, there are barriers there in terms of what people can and can't do. Mm. So I think big picture, does it enable a conversation more easily? Yes, probably. But I, I think there are challenges therein. And I think one of the things that we all need to do, and I think we see this in the media all around us, is perhaps develop a degree of scepticism in terms of what we might see or read and just making sure that we understand what the true truth is behind Mm. that and what what the evidence is to support what decision that we may or may not take as a result of reading what we've read. Absolutely. So the CSIRO Future of Health 2018 report cites that the health system will change, but the current reality is that patients face complex health systems which are often difficult to navigate. In what ways do you think the health system will be changing? So first of all, I love that picture from the CSIRO um, Future of Health. So I think yeah. for anyone who's listening to this podcast, um, please look up the CSIRO Future of Health 2018 report. It's really a very enlightening and motivating report, which I think serves as a vision for all of us in terms of what we need to do. I think back to sort of, I guess, how we're going to do this. There is a lot of work underway in the previous government Um, in terms of long-term health reform, navigation is understood as a key challenge. So that has been addressed in the long-term health reform report that is actually published. I think it was October 21. That's accessible on the Commonwealth Government website. And I think there's an understanding also is how do we move to a system which looks after both the individual, i.e. person-centred, but also can work at a systems level. I think one of the challenges that we need to move to is how do we go from what I call a disease and functional based system to one that truly is systems and related to a person. And so that might say, for example, you know, not defining us by whether we have mental health or a liver health challenge or whether we're disabled, but understanding that we're all of those people all of the time. And we don't want to keep repeating our story to every single person that we encounter. And also, if we need supports in a system, I think we talk about patient-centred, but for a patient who might be accessing, you know, health, disability, perhaps the aged care system, you know, that's three separate streams of conversations. That's really, really quite challenging for Mm. any patient, let alone someone who's feeling vulnerable um, and is dealing sort of with their own healthcare situations, plus also context, perhaps with family, et cetera, around them. Mm, Definitely. So as a healthcare professional who worked in HIV AIDS in the 90s, you were an active part of developing shared care approaches. What is shared care and how does it help patients or anyone else? I think a shared care approach is really understanding what matters And it's what matters to the patient, what matters to the clinician, and how to establish shared goals of what success looks like. The best example I can give perhaps from years ago is thinking through, for example, if you're going on a cancer journey and you're about to start on chemotherapeutic agents, you know, one of the things that a clinician might be worried about is making sure that your white cell count is where it needs to be. Mm -hmm. Whereas for you as a patient, you might be worrying about your hair falling out. Yes. So I think what we really need to understand, and perhaps that, you know, that's an example that, that's been used on many occasions, but there's still examples that we all go through today. Because that feeling, again, of vulnerability as a patient, something that sort of emphasizes the journey that you might be going on, can really be very confronting. So I think as we think about shared care, it's really thinking about what matters to the patient, what matters to the clinician. And how can we develop a conversation around that, if you like, a contract, to be honest, 
in terms of what a successful journey looks like. And I think through any situation, there's sort of a constant dialogue in terms of discussing that journey, what that journey feels like, because things change on a journey. Mm. Um, New information comes to light or something may not work. So I think it needs to be quite a dynamic dialogue and allowing the frequency of that interaction to enable that to happen. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So what can health professionals do to better assist patients in navigating their healthcare journeys? So I think a first thing would be for clinicians to understand the totality of a healthcare system. I Mm -hmm. think invariably patients go through the whole of a system. Healthcare professionals might be involved in part of that journey repeatedly. So for example, you know, running clinics, etc. By the way, I think this is really challenging because I think everyone is busy. And we have also seen in a post-COVID environment, it's even busier, people are tired. So this is very much around how do we work together to sort of think about what this can look like. But I think even if you like health literacy across the board, whether we're patients or healthcare professionals, and understanding what a health system actually is, from community health through primary health, secondary care, tertiary care, and back into primary care, and really thinking through what the totality of that journey looks like. So I think in the initial stages, perhaps what we could do is is really just some very initial and, and basic training in what is a health system and what does it look like in Australia and what can people expect. Right. Excellent. So what's next for this project now? So in addition to my PhD, I'm developing this work nationally and internationally. I'm looking to hold a forum in Canberra next February. And this is very much a collaborative project, um, focusing on addressing needs and moving us to a person-centred focus in health. Um, I'd love it if anyone who's listening is interested to know more to reach out. I think this is something that we, if you like, nobody owns, but everyone feels the pain of. So I think the way to solve these types of problems is to take a a dispersed but collaborative approach to really bring in the voices to the table to understand what successful health journeys look like and how can we all be part of creating success. Fantastic. Thank you. So we can include a link to the hashtag Navigating Health Project on the LiveWell website and also to the CSIRO Future of Health report as well for people who are interested in having a look at those links. Thank you so much for speaking with me today, Sean. It's been really fascinating and all the best with the um, continuation of the project. Thanks very much, Paulette, and thanks for the opportunity. I really appreciate it. Great. Thanks for listening to another episode of Liver Talk. For information, visit our website at liverwell.org.au or call the Liver Line on 1800 703 003.